Yeah. Okay. Good morning. We will play that again maybe in the next week or so just to let people see that. Go Jets. I don't know if that's a theological statement, Scott, but uh, anyway, uh, I don't know about you, but I, anybody else tired of pandemic? I, I read a friend of mine wrote a, a post this morning and she, she called it quarantine fatigue. Just this constant having to think about who you touch and where you are and going to the grocery store and feeling like you're playing, I don't know, Frogger or something where you're staying away from everybody, right? Trying to not touch anybody. And I, I'm excited to actually be moving into 1 John because 1 John is this life-giving book that has been a breath of fresh air for me uh, in the past couple weeks as I've been looking at it. We're going to do four weeks in the book of 1 John so you can spend some time reading through it. It's, it's written most likely by the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. If you look at the Greek and the phrasing and the, the, the things he talks about, they're very, very similar. Um, our best guess, it was written about 50 to 60 years after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we're not really sure the recipients. It's not like a letter that starts out saying to you, these people. It's more like this kind of poetic sermon. But the best guess is that, that John may have written this from Patmos, he wrote another book there. Do you remember that book of Revelation we kind of slogged through? So the assumption is that most likely this book was sent to those seven, or this, sent to those seven churches that are mentioned in the first part of Revelation as well. And I said it's, it's, it's not a letter. It's more like this kind of poetic sermon that kind of rotates around two big ideas. One is that God is light, and one is that God is love, and that we're called to have fellowship with him as light and love. Now, those sound... Great, I guess, but you just, anybody else kind of scratched their head and said, how did, what does that mean, right? Those sound like beautiful ideas, but what it, how does that practically work? And, and John kind of goes off and tries to paint these pictures, and, and we're going to go through them. And I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm limited, because what he, what he's, not, he's not talking about concepts so much as he's talking about an experience with God, a way of living in relationship with him. So we're going to try to dig in and, and see if we can get there. Um, let's start. We're going to read chapter 1, verse 1 through 2.14, and then we'll dig into it a bit. First John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with us, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And this is the message we heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. 
But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. The old command is the message you've heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you've known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, like any piece of literature, when you sit down and look at it, especially while we were taught in school, right? When you're you're sitting down to read a book, one of the first questions you want to ask yourself is why is John writing? What is John trying to accomplish with what he's written? It helps us to understand. He has two basic things that I think are his reasons for writing. The first is to proclaim what others deny. He says in in verse 1, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. That which was from the beginning, which we've looked at, which we've touched, which our eyes have seen, which we've heard, this we proclaim to you. He's proclaiming Jesus And his phrase is, as the word of life. This whole section at the very beginning sounds a lot like the first part of the Gospel of John, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. It's it's the same kind of theme, same kind of cadence, same kind of language if you read it in Greek. The word of life is Jesus. That's what he's saying. And we want to proclaim this to you. The, the, The life that was with the Father was Jesus, and that life has appeared to us. And John says, I need to proclaim it. As we read on in the book, you'll find this. I need to proclaim it, he says, because there are people who are denying it. If you turn over to chapter 2, verse 19, he kind of hints at that in three places. Number 2, 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. There's these people that have branched off, that have left what what, what the core believe, And in verse 22 of chapter 2, who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist, and he denies the Father and the Son. And then down in 2.26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. John's writing this to proclaim the truth that other people are denying, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the life come from God. Okay, now that's We say that phrase all the time, but what does it mean that Jesus is the life come from God? I mean, it's it's this theoretical idea. How do we, what does that mean? Well, that's the second thing I think John is really digging at through this whole book. He says he writes, and this is my phrase, to complete the circle 
of fellowship. If you look at 1, verse 3 and 4, chapter 1, 3 and 4, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. There's this circle of fellowship. John's saying our fellowship is with God the Father and the Son. So if you can imagine John and and the other people with him, and they're standing in this circle with the Father and the Son, and he says, we write this to you so that you can have fellowship with us, so that you can join this circle with the Father and the Son, and implied there, I think, is the Spirit. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you can join this circle of fellowship. And I I want you to see what what John's saying here, because fellowship, we're going to get to that in a minute. Fellowship is this kind of Christianized word that we all think we kind of know what it means. And after the service today, we're going to go see, anybody wants to stay, we've got socially distant coffee and some muffins and stuff out. You can stay and visit and have fellowship. That's kind of what we think it is. But that's really only a small fraction of what John's talking about. And I'm going to, you, you, you guys know me, most of you do, uh, enough to know that I like these things called icons. Um, an icon is the thing that was used by the Orthodox Church, is still used, and it was a, it's not something that people pray to. Please don't misunderstand me there. I'm not saying we should pray to these pictures. Icons are, are pictures that teach a theological truth. They were used when large, vast numbers of the population couldn't read. And so they, they would teach theology in pictures. And there was a, a very famous icon called Rublev's icon, if we can bring that picture up um, of the, the first one. And it was written to explain this story of, of um, well, it, started, well, it was written, it was drawn, painted. And it's these three visitors that come to visit Abraham. They come and they visit him. And, and he prepares a meal for them. He, he, you know, he, he puts food on the table before them. But what happened was this was drawn to use these three visitors actually to teach people about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. If you look at, at, at the second picture, read, you can see all their faces are exactly the same. There's three different people, but their faces are the same. And, it's, and the artist was trying to say, God is three, and yet he's the same. He's one. And, and behind them are these characteristics. If you look, move on to that next picture, in, behind the Father is this house. You know, John said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms, right? This idea of the God, the Father, is this hospitable one. In the middle, we have the Son, and you have this tree, tree of life, or this vine, I am the vine, is Jesus. And on the, the right side, we have the Spirit, and you see this mountain, The Spirit represents the the Spirit hovering over the waters, all of creation, and this mountain is actually bowing toward the Father. See, it's, it's this way of saying this same God, three faces, all the same, has these these three different aspects, these three different characteristics. And if you'll notice the the next picture, the God on the on your what is that? On your left. Is that right? Yes. Reed gives me an L for left. That's good. Thank you, Reed. God is looking toward the Son and the Spirit, but they're both looking back to Him. It's a way of saying the Father has the primacy in this. He's the ultimate, but they're all one. They're turning their attention back to the Father. And there's a cup in the middle of the table. You know, Abraham provided food for his guests. Next picture. In that cup is painted a portion of lamb. What's beautiful about this picture is if you zoom back out and look at the shape of the picture, and this is the next one, what really happens is the, the sun is in the cup. You see how that shape is a cup. 
And it's saying the Trinity is sitting there at this table, communing with each other and giving the Son to us as, 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 as our, what we need to, to survive in this cup. And ultimately, we are drawn into this. And this is the last picture. And because there's, at this table where there's three, there's a space. See that front wall? It's actually pointing to that little box there, which doesn't matter so much. But what we've got is the Trinity, and we're being invited into it. Now, that's what the icon is trying to explain. And this last picture is the thing I want to get you to understand. Because what, what John is saying here is, is the Trinity exists, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as this relationship that pours out love to each other constantly. They are, they are three in one God. He is three in one God, loving and sharing life, and it's all this relationship. And yet what's beautiful about this is the Trinity invites us to the table. We get drawn into that. That's, that's this word fellowship, the Greek word. I'm sure you've heard it, many of you, koinonia. I mean, you've heard koinonia, right? Angela sang me a song about it this week, and she offered to come and sing. I don't know where she is today, but she, yeah, she very facetiously offered to come and sing the song here. Um, but koinonia is this Greek word, and it does mean, we translate it fellowship, it actually means participation. It's, it's deeper than just sitting at a table with somebody and sharing stories. And, and so fellowship, koinonia, is participation in the life. Now, I emphasize the in that on the outline because what's happening here, fellowship, is the Trinity's having fellowship with each other. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, and they're pouring out love to each other. They're pouring out life to each other all the time. And John says, I'm writing this to you. We've got fellowship with the Father and the Son. And I'm saying, writing this to you so that you can have that fellowship too. We, you can participate in that life. This is, this is a hard thing for us to get. Because we don't, we don't think of divine life as this thing that flows through us. That, that the Father gives life to the Son, gives life to the Spirit, who turns it back to the Father. There's this constant... Uh, going around, actually the Greek word they used in the early church to describe it was perichoresis. Now peri, like perimeter, means around, and choresis, choreography, means dance. Literally perichoresis, they would describe the Trinity by calling it a circle dance. It's, it's all of God dancing with himself. God is pouring, uh, outpouring love to himself and life to himself all the time. And John says, we're writing this so that this fellowship we have with God, you guys can have it too. You can come into this circle dance. Now, the only thing I can get that even comes close to it, we've all had connections with people, usually family, right? Um, and, and we feel pain with them or we feel joy with them. Yesterday, Becca and her fiance were at our house using some of the tools we had to make a desktop. They were out in the backyard working, and it, it's kind of funny to watch an engaged couple do a project together. You kind of get to see the dynamics of how they're going to figure things out, right? It was fun to watch. But what was, what was the greatest part for me was just watching Becca just fill with joy. She loves this guy. He loves her, and they're doing something together for their new home. And I said to Angela, and I said, the best part of the day was I could feel that joy because my daughter was experiencing something, and because I'm connected with her, because I'm participating in life with her, I feel it. Now, it, you feel it on the other side too, right? When someone you love is suffering, when a child's suffering, when a spouse is suffering, when we lose someone close to us, we feel that pain. You guys feel that? Have you felt that kind of? 
It's a deeper, it's not just I know you and I feel bad for you. It's actually a pain that we feel. Now that's kind of this idea of fellowship. We participate in life. And what John is saying is we can participate with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the divine life. It can flow into us. We're invited to the table. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, he's saying that life of Christ is actually flowing into me because I'm at this circle. I'm in the circle dance. The life I live in the body, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, this, this is what the world is longing for. And I, I wish I could, I wish I knew. I wish there was a little green light that popped above your head that showed your understanding what I'm saying. Right? Could you guys do that? Just like, ding, I got it. But I want you, this is not a concept. This is not just a theological truth that we need to know, that we're invited into fellowship with God. This is actually an experience of the life of God that we can taste now. Now, not fully. It'll be full when when Jesus returns. But what John is saying is, we have this fellowship. I'm going to write this stuff so that you can come into that circle, so that you can begin to taste that divine life. It's it's, it's a deeper and, and, and fuller living. You see, facing the world we're in right now requires that kind of life. If all you have is your life, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to be exhausted, you're going to be afraid. But realizing that we can come to the table with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and have that life actually flow into us is important. It's life-giving. It's really what the whole world wants, even if they don't know it. And so John's writing, he's saying, I want to complete that circle. I want you guys to realize that you get to move into the table with the Trinity. You get to have fellowship. And he spends the rest of the book talking about how we can enter into that. First, he says fellowship happens in the light. One of the key ways to keep experiencing that fellowship with God is to walk in the light. That's where God lives. He says, um, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. This is verse 5 of chapter 1. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now that doesn't mean it's easy for us to live in the light. It's just saying if we want to experience that divine life, we need to walk into the light where the life is. We need to move into that table. It says a lot about light in 5 to 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, we we need to see light is scary, but it's safe. It reveals who we really are. It can be scary to walk out into the light and let those parts of your life be seen. This This is me. This is who I am. These are my mistakes and my flaws. Here it is. But what 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 John is saying is if you want to live in fellowship. Part of you needs to walk into the light, and it's so scary to reveal those things about yourself. It's so scary to be honest about your faults and your brokenness. But, but that's where the fellowship takes place. That's the safest place to be. He says it links us to one another. It says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, right? It's as we move into that, as we're willing to be open and transparent about our brokenness, God meets us. And how many times have you said, how many times have you guys heard someone share their story of their testimony, their life, and they talk about their failures, they talk about their brokenness, 
and, and there's a connection. You've, you've, you sense that, right? You know what they're doing? They're, they're coming into the light and they're having fellowship with you because they're being open and honest about it. It's scary to go there, but it's safe. And, and light requires honesty and humility. If you look at verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you say, well, I, there's nothing wrong with me, yeah, right. <laughs> You're lying. If you, to come into the light, you have to be honest. You have to be humble. We have to acknowledge our own compulsions and our own obsessions, our own failures and our weaknesses. You, this, is what, this is how we join in this participation in the life of the Trinity, by being open about what we need and not hiding away. This is what fellowship is, what koinonia is. And, and in the church, we, oh, man... Have we messed this up so bad, so often? And I don't think we consciously try to mess it up. But how many of you have realized over your Christian life that the church specializes in trying to hide our brokenness from each other, in trying to look better than we are, in trying to deny our needs? And, and, and we make this place where people who are honest about their needs, feel uncomfortable coming here because the rest of us have it all together, right? That's not fellowship. That's walking in darkness. And John says, you got to come in here. you got to let it be seen. you got to be honest and humble about what, what's there. Our protecting of our false image of who we want people to think we are actually keeps us in the darkness and hinders participating in that divine life. It's, it's so countercultural and counterintuitive for us to be open and transparent because we're afraid. And yet that is where the life actually comes. You see, light both empowers and exposes us. Chapter 2, verse 1. How many of you, when I read this, you gave yourself a little shake? My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Is John saying that what he's writing will enable us not ever to sin? That used to really bug me because I'm like, John... And then I read the next verse. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for, our, for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, John knows that we're going to sin, but what he's saying is, if you come into the light, as you become more and more transparent and open to, to a select number of brothers and sisters and to, to God himself, all of a sudden that empowers you to sin less. I don't know if you've seen that, but, but when I'm open and honest about my brokenness and, and I feel that conviction and sometimes even shame of it and Jesus loves me in spite of it, all of a sudden there is less desire to go back to that. Being in the light empowers me to live differently, to choose the right over the wrong. And John knows we're going to fail, but he says, I'm writing this to you about fellowship, about coming to the table and joining the circle of fellowship because it will enable you to sin. It's going to help you overcome sin because what you taste in the light is so good, you'll be less inclined to go to the darkness. It empowers us. It says we don't have to live at the mercy of sin all the time. As we move into the light, as we participate in this life that we get from God, all of a sudden, sin becomes less and less appealing to us. It empowers, but it also exposes. Now look down at verse 9 of chapter 2. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother, is still in the darkness. Now, 
what he's saying there, it doesn't matter what you say. If you're in the light, you will be exposed. You can say, I'm in the light, and you still hate your brother. That's going to be very clear. You can't hide. Light empowers you to sin less. But if you're going to come into light and lie about it, it's going to expose you as well. It's going to show the, the reality of the relationships you have. And don't, you know, this is a big one here. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister, and it's not necessarily genetic brother or sister, this is others. If there are people that you hate, you're walking in darkness. You're hiding away from that life. It's a huge, I mean, to me, that's, it's incredibly convicting. If there is anyone that I'm holding a grudge against or unforgiveness against, you know what I'm actually doing is cutting cutting my, my freedom to be in the light and draw the life of God into me. And the light will expose that. The good news is, it, I mean, it would be, this exposure would be overwhelming if we didn't know that the light will overcome. That's what it says in verse 8. I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The fact that they saw Jesus, the true light, that they, they put their hands on him, they heard him, they talked with him, they saw this life and light come into the world, they know that the darkness is passing. And that's why we need to come out of it and to be freed to walk in the light. See, there's this way of darkness that we are used to. Self-protection, maintaining my image, making sure people think well of me, fear, control, all those things are the ways of darkness. And what John says is if you can understand that God is light, that he's the one who forgives it, that he is an atoning sacrifice for your sin, not only your sin, but the sin of the whole world, then you can feel free to take that scary step into the light and begin to participate in the life of God. We, we as the church need to, as children of light, begin to learn to walk in the light because we know the light's coming. The light's going to overcome. And as we walk in the light, other people are drawn to it. They're drawn to that transparency. How many of you know a person that you would say walks in the light? They, they have this, this sense of freedom. They don't need to put on airs. They don't need to tell you how good they are. They just realize their own brokenness and have made peace with it and know that God loves it. When you know those people, that's compelling, isn't it? I, I, I have several in my life that are like that. And I'm just like, oh, I just want to be like, I just want to let go of this stuff I'm holding on to. And be free like they are. See, the sooner we are, the sooner we let go, the sooner we're freed to walk in that fellowship, that sharing of life. And then John moves in at the end, of, at, at the next part of the second chapter, into this poetic section, writing to dear children and writing to fathers and writing to young men. And people, boy, there has been more ink spilled on that passage than many. Everybody says, well, he's writing to people at different levels of the spiritual life, dear children. You know, these are the ones that are just beginning. And fathers, these are the ones that have been believers a long time. And young men, these are the people that are just kind of figuring it out in the middle. But at the, at the beginning, right, he also says uh, in 2.1, My dear children, I write this to you. So he, I, don't, I don't think it's spiritual levels. Other people have said, you know, he, he's writing about levels of effort. There's children who are just kind of barely getting started. And there's, there's older people who've been around a while but aren't doing much. And there's these young men that are going for it. I have no idea why he does that. I'd love to know that. And one day in heaven, maybe we will, when we step in the light fully and we can figure it out. But I realized as I was trying to figure that out, I was spending hours trying to figure out why he wrote to children, fathers, and young men instead of looking at what he wrote to children, fathers, and young men. And I think, so that's, that's where I want to go to. I want to, 
I think what he's saying to all of us is what he's saying to all three of them. And, and I call them truths that the light reveals. He, he's saying these things to us because this is what happens when we live in the light. I share them because I think they make the light captivating. The desire to experience the truth of life seated at the table with the Trinity, drawing from that life, is so captivating, it, make, it, it pulls you into the light. There's three things that, that are listed, I think, in this kind of poetic section. One is that we are forgiven. He says right at the beginning, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Have been forgiven. Even the sins that you're going to commit this afternoon have been past tense forgiven on account of his name. The sins for next Thursday, next Saturday, they're all forgiven. There's no reason at all because of the cross to live in shame. You have been set free. This is what he's saying. You have been set free from sin and condemnation. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So just take, take a minute and think about it. What is it that weighs you down? What is it that makes you afraid to walk into the light? If you need to close your eyes and pay, what is it that you're most ashamed of in your life? What is it, the biggest burden that you're carrying, the thing that you just think, oh, that's just, if I could get rid of this. Just picture it in your head and listen to this. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. You can walk out into the light because you're forgiven. You can have that fellowship with God no matter what you've done. Secondly, he says, we have overcome. He says, I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. He says it again at the very end of 14. You're strong, the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Not will overcome the evil one, right? He's not saying you will. Keep up. You're going to get it done. He says, you have overcome already. See, we, we hang back because of fear. We, we stay in the darkness because we don't want the light to expose us and we're afraid. I don't want to let God, I don't want to let other people see this about me. I just want to hide this. We're afraid to love others as we've been loved because what if I love them and they take advantage of me? What if I lose something? And John says, we have already overcome the evil one. Revelation 12 same guy writing, they overcame him, same exact word, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. What, what is it you're afraid of? What are you afraid is going to happen to you? Picture it in your head. How, how are you afraid the devil's just going to throw you something that you cannot handle? Just picture it. And hear this, I write to you, young men and women, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome, have overcome, past tense, the evil one. And because of that, you're free to walk in the light. You can have this relationship with God because of that. It's all true because of the third one. We know, and know means we participate in relationship with God. Verse 13, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. You've known him. You've, you've entered this relationship with God. 
At the beginning, he said, you know, we're proclaiming to you what we've seen, what we've touched, what we've known. And now he says to them, you've known him too. You have. And we're able to receive, John says, from him this life, and we're able to pass it on to you and bring you into this circle of fellowship. That's the role of the church today, is to say we know that we can participate in fellowship with the Trinity. We can have this divine life flowing through us, and we can share it with you. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, this, uh, I, my whole life is trying to figure out exactly how to live this out because it's already done. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge, through our knowing of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may what? Participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That's fellowship. Somehow, I don't get it. I can't explain this to you. I can't give you three steps. But I'm telling you, this is what the Scripture says. As you walk in the light, as you open yourself up, as you are open and transparent and confess and acknowledge your own sin, somehow you are able to participate in the divine nature. That life that's flowing through the Trinity starts flowing through you. That life that overcomes death, that overcomes fear, and, and then, as you live in that life, it says you will be able to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That's what John's saying. I write these things to you so that you won't sin. It helps you, as you live in this life, to be transformed. Now, I don't, I don't know how to, like I said, I don't know how to explain. I can only point to this. But, but what he's saying here to these children and fathers and young men and women, this is gender inclusive here, we have nothing to be ashamed of because we're forgiven. We have nothing to be afraid of because we have overcome by Christ. And in the light, we can know God and live in this divine dance, circle dance of relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that actually takes our life, which is already dead, and brings new life into it so that we live completely differently. It's a mystery. Nobody can explain it. That's why I say it's not a concept. It's not a theological thing that you can write down on a piece of paper and hand it to somebody. It's an experience that you live in the life of God, right? Life is experiential. It's not something we, we, we can explain. And, and the divine life is no different. I mean, we can talk about it. We can talk around it. But what John is saying is I'm writing these things to you so that you can have fellowship with God himself. And with us, that we can be linked by this divine life, this mutually sharing love and life. That's why he says back in chapter 1, verse 4, I write this to you to make my joy complete. If we can get this, guys, if we can understand that by walking in the light and being open about our own sin, that we are loved and forgiven, that life begins to overwhelm us. It pours out of us to other people, just like the Father pours out to the Son, who pours out to the Spirit, who pours back to the Father and the Son, as you begin to feel that life and understand what God and experience it, the people you come in contact with get to meet the Trinity face to face. They get to sit down at the table and that life pours into them. And it's so intoxicating in the good sense, in the Baptist sense, intoxicating, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's real. People long for that. That last verse, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I'm not... I'm not telling you we hope that. That's what Peter's saying in this verse. It's been given to us. 
The table's been open. The doors have been open for us to step in. And he says, just walk in light. Be open and honest about your faults. Let them out there because the grace of God is big enough to handle that. And as you begin to walk in that, you begin to receive this life that flows out of you to everyone around you. Do you see how, I don't know, there's, there's 50 of us in here. It's captivating, right? I can't, some of you got masks on. I can't really tell if you're captivated or not or maybe sleeping. I don't know. But, but it's, I can't imagine anything better than to think that the very life that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share can flow through me and out of me into other people. That's what the world longs for. That's what we're called to. Through these promises, we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. John is saying walking in the light is where the freedom comes. We'll keep looking at that next week. Let's pray. God, we are so excited to be able to, to break bread and drink juice to remember that, that life was real. Your life was real here. This life that, that John saw and touched and heard. That he put his hands on. That that life was given to us in a very tangible way. A life that overcame death. And God, we just ask that whatever holds us back, if it's shame that we could hear your words, we are for, we're forgiven. Dear children, you are forgiven. We have one who, who stands for us, who, who makes atonement for us, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And if we're afraid to walk out, that, 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 that you can just remind us that we have overcome the evil one. Thanks to you. Thanks to you. This life in us has already overcome. And help us to know you. Help us to live out of that relationship each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come to the table, and, and that's where the light shines, right? The light is shining on you. Everything that you are is fully seen by God, and yet he says, here's my body broken for you. Here's my blood shed for you, right? I want you to realize that that when you come to him in the light, you come as you are. It's, it's the way you are. It's not the you you want to sell. It's not the you that you think is the best. It's the you that you really are. And he accepts that. I want you to hear this. I write to you believers in hope because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And I write to you believers in hope because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you believers in hope because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, believers in hope, because you have known the Father. I write to you, believers in hope, because you've known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, believers in hope, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now take that light and live in it as you leave this place, and watch lives be changed by the presence of God in and through you. Amen.